everybody hope everybody's doing well today if you haven't tuned in yet that's okay if you are tuning in that's great too glad to have you now i want to first say welcome to the believing theologist podcast i'm your host matthew smith here to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ and solemn doctorate in lansing in michigan and to the farthest reaches of the up so here we are yet again Yet again. So this is uh, something I've been want. this particular subject I've been wanting to work on for quite some time. But unfortunately, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I've been chicken, I'll put it that way. Chicken. Um, afraid of uh, how friends will react. Uh, those I've, uh, how those I've worked with in the past, how they will react. Um, so there's that. I'm going to do my best to present this material as best I can. I would just hope that you would want to hang out and listen for a minute. And if you want to join the conversation or if you end up joining or tuning in late, come on in. Uh, the link is, it should be in the comments there on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to come in and join and talk about this, because it's something I think that requires, requires public conversation especially in this area, that is the Lansing area, Holt, etc. Because I don't, it's not something that can be ignored or shoved off as secondary doctrine. Excuse me. Um, because this has to do with command of, uh, command of, a direct command of God. A didactic passage of scripture, passages of scripture, and so on. So, but first, before we do anything, because we got to discuss something first. Do you know what the gospel is? Well, I was waiting for you to answer if you're wondering why I was pausing, so there you go. Uh, but the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That God sent his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But, unfortunately, first, before the good news makes sense, we need to know the bad news. Scripture says we are all, all, all of mankind is born in trespasses and sin. Born dead in trespasses and sin. When, Ad, when Adam and Eve in the garden, when Adam took of the fruit, his wife gave him that they were commanded not to eat. He fell. And sin entered the world. And sin to all mankind. Now the reason this is because Adam, Adam's sin being the representative of, man, representative of mankind, our fe, a federal head, if you will, his sin was imputed onto the rest of us. So we inherit a sin nature. Naturally, we are born at enmity with God. 
in violation of his laws and decrees and what he considers holy. And as a result, we deserve death, eternal judgment. But the good news, because God's, because of God's, God's loving kindness and his grace chose to save mankind. And now, and uh, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, God in, fle- God in, the, God, God in flesh, to die on the cross, and to, first of all, to live the life that we couldn't live, that you cannot live, earning righteousness on our behalf. Died a sinner's death on the cross, taking on the full judgment of God for those that would believe. Was buried. Rose again, rose again after, th- after the third day, defeating sin, Satan, and death. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for those that, that have called out to him. If you believe that, repent. Put your full, trace in, your full trust and faith in Christ alone for your forgiveness of your sins, and you'll be saved. Okay. Take, take that one home. Now, what I want to get into is a subject that's very, very touchy for a lot of folks, particularly in our, my local area. Several weeks ago, a local uh, music minister by the name of John DePascal posted on his Facebook page an article. Articles from Relevant Magazine, cele- uh, kind of celebrating and reporting on Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in California ordaining three women as pastors. Now, this is a very, very interesting uh, development considering for anyone who is familiar with Saddle- with Rick Warren and Saddleback's history. There's a certain timing here. Not quite sure what it is, but there's a timing here. But before we begin, I want to go through this article because I think this will be helpful. Saddleback Church has ordained three women pastors in defiance of Southern Baptist rules. Now, this is a surprise to a lot of folks. Saddleback is part of the Southern Baptist Convention? That's odd. But hey, that's what it is. This, was po- this article is posted May 10, 2021. It says by Relevant there. Last week, Rick Warren Saddleback Church ordained three women pastors at a first for the hugely influential megachurch. Liz Puffer, Cynthia Petty and Katie Edwards were all ordained during a May 6th service, prompting both celebration and outrage across the Southern Baptist Convention. Again, I think this is interesting. Saddleback's move was done in defiance of the SBC's official position, which forbids ordaining women. The SBC's website points to the Baptist Faith and Message doctrinal statement, which says, while both men and women are gifted for the service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. A 1984 resolution adopted by the SBC state stated that biblical teaching excludes women from pastoral leadership to preserve a submission God requires because the man was first, create, first in creation and the woman, woman was first in the Edenic, Edenic fall. Sorry, I need a quick drink of tea there. 
Uh, that position has been a source of contention for decades and has helped to lead to fractures in the past, creating Alliance of Baptists and the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Last year, popular author teacher Beth Moore announced she left the SBC in part over the limitations it placed on women. Now, that was a fun story. Beth Moore made a huge deal about that. I've been offended. I'm leaving. Well, no, translation, financially, she didn't need the SBC anymore. She could stand on her own. But unfortunately, um, uh, latest reports I heard, her finance, her finances with her ministry and organization are not doing well. So at the very least, pray that they can still keep, pray that her family can still keep the house, so to speak. Now, I'm not saying they're in danger of losing their home. Just keep them in your prayers for that reason, that, that her, she would repent of her sin, repent and turn to Christ. Continuing on in the article. Saddleback is the largest church in the SBC, and the announcement prompted backlash from leaders within the convention, many of whom have been part of an attempt to steer the group away from what it perceives as a liberal drift. Interesting wording. Many of these um, leaders within the convention have been part of an attempt to steer the group away from what it perceives as a liberal drift. Now, if anyone's followed the SBC SBC goings on the past couple of weeks. That's there. There's something called the Overton window. It has shifted left. Well, wait a minute, hold on. That's my left. So I think your left would be this way, I think. I may be wrong. Correct. <laughs> Let me know if <laughs> if you're not sure. Now, this is important. The Overton window keeps shifting left. So any perceived liberal drift isn't perceived as that as all. Now, also, too, this article does not define liberal drift. What does that mean? Is that theological liberal or politically liberal? Now, more often than not, those two things are found, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost, not necessarily parallel, but coincide very often. Continuing on, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary President Dr. Al Mohler wrote that Saddleback's move was contrary to Scripture. Moeller is considered a top contender to become the new president of the SBC. <laughs> Moeller also quoted John A. Brodus, who wrote in 1980 that the Apostle Paul's teachings do definitely and strongly forbid that women shall speak in public assemblies. Brodus was a co-founder of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, who served as a chaplain to the Confederate Army during the Civil War and was himself a slave owner. Now, what does that have to do with anything? We're talking about women in the pastorate. What does that have to do with anything in this? That's a, that's a conversation for another day. Continuing on, there have been no prominent calls for Saddleback to be kicked out of the SBC yet, but the size and influence of Saddleback almost guarantees that the debate will move to the forefront of a convention already in the throes of enormous tensions around racism and misogyny. Again, very, very interesting choice of words, especially for those who have ears to hear. Continuing on. Many cheered the news, including Dr. Aaron Faith Moniz, assistant chaplain at Barry College, who said she was shocked and amazed. Still others noted they were encouraged by the move, by the move, by the move. Sorry, there's a typo there. It threw me off. By the move, but noted that the American church has a long way to go 
Abuse survivor advocate Ashley Easter said she was glad to see the news but drew attention to the fact there are no women elders in the church. Still no women elders in the church. Lauren Aquist, who said she helped write Saddleback's online announcement, said that one day women stepping into church leadership will be touted not as historic, which is ironically the word I chose when I helped write the social caption, but just as another Thursday night. Until then, I'm celebrating the steps Saddleback has taken, onward and upward. And the article ends with that quote. Now, I think this is one part, in one way very telling, especially with the uh, uh, choices of wording and comparisons these per- this person made. But this is an idea that's being celebrated, being yay. And the person who originally posted this that I uh, mentioned earlier, he talked about how he was so happy to be in, in Pentecostal heritage, Pentecostal heritage and, um, and theological background in that. No, how they, how they, empower women no, and let women lead, et cetera, et cetera, and it's so important. We need women leaders in the church, that kind of thing. No, I'm not quoting him exactly. I'm not bringing up the, face, I'm not bringing up the uh, Facebook um, post. I'm not going to direct quote anything quote out of, the, out of the thread because when I asked him to discuss this publicly, he, yeah, he declined. So that's where we're at with that. If any of you listening out there do know Mr. DePascal and want to forward this to him, please go right on ahead. Okay, now, what the thing is, and defi- this isn't defiance of Scripture. This isn't just a secondary, no, looking at, I know my pastor will probably get on me for this, and any, any uh, Reformed Baptist guys will get on me for this, but that's okay. It's not necessarily like an issue with baptism. Do we, do we baptize our children as part, of, uh, as part of the covenant when they're young? Or do we only baptize when there is a credible confession of faith? Well, I'm not, I'm not here to debate that issue, but those are sometimes, that issue sometimes does result in church splits and uh, not wanting to fellowship with one another, but they still consider one another brothers, even though they think that the other one thinks they're wrong. This situation with women pastors is not that, is not such a case. This isn't, we can disagree, we can disagree biblically and continue on about our day. Is this as a... Ver- because the one of the primary passages is First Timothy chapter two, uh, specifically, uh, I believe it's verse. Here, I gotta look at it here. Give me a second. Uh, look, uh, Timothy for second First Timothy two, looking at verses eight through fifteen. Now, this First Timothy is a pastoral epistle. Just like Second Timothy is, just like Titus, sometimes Philemon is thrown in there, uh, to quote James, to quote James White. Um, and and this letter letter to Timothy, um, we find in la- in later chapters that Paul is this is one of potentially one of Paul's last writings to Timothy. One of Paul's last writings to Timothy. Now, that's important to keep in mind. 
So what we're going to do, we're going to go through and read. I'm going to put it on the screen here. And um, we're going to read through this. I'm going to start in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. We're going to read through verse 15. And before, and if there's anybody just tuning in, welcome. Glad you can make it. Um, if you want to join in in the comments on Facebook and YouTube at least, there's a link. If you want to join in the conversation, let's talk. Let's talk about this. I believe it's important to have a public conversation regarding this. If you're on the opposite end of where I am, saying women women should not be serving as past pastors, elders, or equivalent roles. If you're on the opposite end, I'd love to hear from you. Let's talk about it. Okay, on the way to 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings who are in all high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet Godly and dignified and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all all desires all people to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Pause real quick. This is Paul's giving his credentials here. Paul, an apostle of God. For what reason was he appointed a preacher and apostle? For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is testimony given at the proper time. This is what God had called Paul to do to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Continuing on. I desire then that in every place that the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls, or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. A lot. Okay, first of all, what's Paul talking about? This appears to be in the context of when the church comes together to meet. Whether it's a house church situation or if they're meeting in a back alley somewhere because they got to hide from the government. Or, no, they're just meeting in the synagogues on Sunday. Whichever it may be. So official meetings, and the reason I say that because the very next chapter, Paul goes into qualifications for overseer, pastor, slash pastor, slash elder. Okay, I desire that men in every place should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. What does a lot of us guys like to do? Quarrel and get pissed off at one another. It happens. But that's, no, dude, 
due to our nature and part of our sinful nature, that's the thing that happens. It says likewise. Now, that's not necessarily likewise. Well, women don't do this. Is he saying, well, women, you shouldn't do this either. Or is he saying something different with the word likewise? Likewise. In In the same way that I'm commanding men to behave a specific way in relation to their nature and to the role God has given them, in that same way, is also commanding women to behave, to conduct themselves a certain way. Adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold pearls, or any or costly attire. Okay, when a lot of folks hear that, they're like, oh, you mean I have to dress in a robe and I can't do my hair? No, that's not what that means. That's not what that means at all. What's the point? Don't be a show-off. If you, if you want to wear clothes, accentuate your, your femininity, go right on ahead. However, don't wear, don't wear such apparel that would flaunt it. Or in, this, or in this specific case, respectable apparel, modesty, self-control, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire. Okay, this is, this is an Ephesus, but this definitely could apply to a universal thing, universal uh, application. A lot of times what happened, no, if, if in the, no, the dress back then was a lot different than it is now. And so you didn't really have much place to wear jewelry or anything like that. So the women would braid their hair and put the jewels and stuff in, done up in their hair. No, I'm sure it looked great on a lot of these women. However, but typically the purpose for that was to draw specific attention to a very specific thing. I have status. I have wealth. Look at me. I'm prettier than she is. Those kinds of things. That's not, those are not okay. That's not okay behavior for a woman of God. No. Like I said, if you want to do yourself up, do yourself up. Do your hair. Dress nice. But with modesty, self-control. Okay, that's about all I I got. I can go there. It continues on. But what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works? So do that. Trip. Adorn yourselves in respectable attire. With modesty, self-control, not braided hair and gold pearls, costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Women, you have a women have an amazing external beauty. According to scripture, their internal beauty comes from the good works they do under the power and direction of Jesus of, of the Holy of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And my phone just went kaput. I am sorry about that. I better put that on silent. Ding. Boop boop. There. Shouldn't hear it now. Okay, and Paul continues on. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. <coughs> Women's got to be submissive. That's misogynist. That's, that's, that's not good at all. You just want to rule over us and keep all this back. Sorry, for, forgive me the uh, thing. 
But it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, bear in mind, this is in the context of the public worship ga- of a public worship gathering of the church. Whether it be a small group setting or, or the primary, primary worship meetings or the back alley they're hiding in because they're trying to hide from the government while worshiping God. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. This is not a good thing. This is a holy, this is not, excuse me, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is holy. Now we get to our favorite part. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Either she is to remain quiet. Now here's where a lot of, Hanky, hanky a lot of people will want to take the, the phrase teach or, exer- or to exercise authority as two parts of a single command. This is not the case. Excuse me. These are two separate commands. Do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, man grammatically modifies both of those. For a good detailed, um, more detailed explanation of this, check out this book, Masculine Christianity, by Zach Garris. He has a great chapter on this passage. And if you're interested, that in the book, that page starts on around 160 or so. All right, back to the scripture. So Paul, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, as an apostle appointed by Christ himself, says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. Now, there's reasons for this. And Paul's argument is quite interesting because a lot of a lot of us would think, oh, it's because of this, because of that other thing. Or, or it's just because women are weird and men are not less weird. No, that's not the case. Paul roots his argument in the creation order. Verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay? Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was given, was told to take dominion over the earth, over, over the field and every beast and, beast and land, fish in, the, yeah, fish in the air, birds in the sea. Fish in the sea, birds in the air. And then when God brought the animals to, uh, to him to name, he went through and named all the animals, all the, all the birds, all the cows, all the, all the Tyrannosaurus rexes, all the fish, and so on. And after all this process was done, there's one out of all creation, one thing that God said was not good. It's not good for man to be alone. He created and he made Eve out of Adam's rib. He called her woman before she came out of man. And she gave him gave her to him as a helpmate. <clears throat> now the situation when the um serpent 
in Genesis chapter 3, or, yeah, end of 2, going to chapter 3, was deceiving Eve. His, his, essentially, his argument was this. Did God really say, because what was the command that was given Adam? You may eat of any tree of the, tree of the garden, except for the tree, except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that you may not eat. That was the command. That was, the, that was God's law. Because he said, for the day you eat of it, you will die. But the serpent, being crafty, well, well, God didn't really, no, you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to become like him. He's holding you back. Eve was deceived, was deceived, saw that the fruit was good. Bit in the apple, or apple, or whatever it was, and handed it to her husband who was with her, and he also ate. Now, I'm going through all this for a reason. Adam was not deceived. Did he abdicate his role of authority in the fall? Yes. Yes, he did. He absolutely now, but for the sake of this, we have, let's ask ourselves, why was Eve deceived? Is it something maybe Adam wasn't clear regarding uh, relaying the command to his wife? Possible. But another, uh, but another, but another explanation is to the natural nature of Nature differences between men and women. Men are typically more aggressive. Or as I've heard in a Jordan Peterson put it in a uh, in an interview, men are less agreeable than women. No, men men are supposed to go take dominion. They're supposed to be able to fight and so on and so forth. He was not deceived. He was not deceived. The woman, women, are a lot di- more different than men. They're typically can be typically more agreeable. Very, very emotionally, more led by their emotions than say than say. Uh, I want to be careful how I say this. Than necessarily reason or logic. Now, I'm not saying those. Logic and reason and emotions are two completely separate things that cannot work together. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. But women typically appear to be, usually are led naturally more on emotional level. Why? Because they're made to bear children. Children take a certain, uh, what's the one we're looking for? Level of compassion and care that men just don't necessarily have it in them to give all the time. God made women in this way on purpose. As you see in the, in the creation, God did not make an egalitarian, androgynous creation with, with men and women. Men and women are different. They're physically different. They're psychologically different. The only thing they're the same in is spiritually they're the same. At least in our context anyway. Even Adam and Eve. They both stood 
before God and his law as equals. But they had different roles in order that they had to fulfill. So this is a um, theory as to why Eve may have been may have been the one deceived or the one the one that the serpent went to. So take that or leave it. Take take or leave it as that there. So the woman. So kind of back up in this passage, Paul says that with what's proper, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first. That's male headship, patriarchy. Then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So because the woman was deceived, women are not to teach or have authority over men or have authority, large authoritative roles such as pastor or overseer in the church. Okay? You're like, well, where does this leave women then? That's not fair. Why would God do such a thing? I thought we were all equal, we're all the same. No, we're not. We're equal before God, under the law and in Christ. We're not, men and women are not equal in nature. We are not equal in our roles, because they're different. Like, for example, if you're listening and uh, you got a friend, who can... Who can play basketball really, really, really good? He's amazing at basketball. He he can do the shoot. He can run. He can run the plays. But you can barely dribble a basketball. So when it comes to the game of basketball, are you two equals? No. No, you're not. It's not necessarily the best analogy, but hopefully it helps illustrate the point. Now going on, verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, what does that mean? Does that mean, no, she'll, go, she'll get saved as in, like, get saved and go to heaven if she has lots of kids and continue in faith and love and holiness? No, that would be salvation by works. That is false. That is not correct. This has to do, in part... With the Proto Evangelion in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, I'm going to go, we're going to read that because I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, let's use this one Genesis. Go. Put that on the screen so you can see it too. I believe it's chapter 15, uh, verse 15 or 16. Aha. All right. Genesis 3.15. This is in the midst of the curse. Part of the curse he puts that God is putting on the serpent. But it's also a promise to Eve. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
This is very often called the Proto-Evangelion, foreshadowing of Christ, who crushed a serpent's head. No, like I said at the beginning, Christ raised from the raised from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and death, so that those that believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, now we're going to go back to our passage in 1 Timothy. 1 Tim 2. Click. Hey, there it is. 1 Timothy 2. We're going to go back down to where we're at in verse... Nice. There it is. Verse 13. Yep. No, that's not... Where am I? I'm in chapter 3. That is not the right passage. There we go. Here we are. So a woman being saved in childbearing is bearing children, raising them in the raising them in admonition of the Lord, giving them, teaching them the ways of God, and so on. This is a this is a holy calling, women. Now a lot of people at this point, okay, I get all that, but what about you no know, the teaching and stuff? No, can't women teach at all? Well, for one, define when you, when you say teach. What do you mean? Well, can't women like teach a mixed Bible study? Technic- no, not according to this. Well, can they te- Can they lead a small group? No, not according to this. Well, could they even read scripture scripture in the in the worship in a big worship meeting? According to that, no. Because the reading presenting of Scripture is an authoritative role. Worship and worship. Anyway, well, here's what women can do. Starting in Titus, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. But as for you, teach... Uh, again, Paul t- talking to Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Everything in the previous chapter, Paul, previous chapter, Paul had talked about. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound of faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves, too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind. Submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And to be honest, I think that offers a fair, a fairly straightforward response to that question. I don't really see any way, just a straight reading of that, of that, how one could come to a different conclusion than what the passage itself comes to. People will object, of course. But what the what what are they objecting to? They're objecting to the command of God because they'll see because oh, they'll see the part. Now, train the young woman to love their husbands. Okay, love their children. Okay, be self controlled. Okay, pure. Okay, working at home. <gasps> you mean women gotta be barefoot at home and barefoot and pregnant all the time? No, that's not what that means. What that's talking about is again this has to do with how God set up families 
and churches and that kind of thing. The best thing a woman can do as a helpmeet to her husband. Now, I'm not necessarily going to say stay-at-home mom because there are sometimes, unfortunately, some financial situations or other situations that require you know, things to be expanded out a little bit, and I understand that. However, a woman's priority should be at home, at her home, and her children, and her husband. That is the role God has given her. This is a beautiful high calling. It really is. Now, does this mean she can't volunteer at the church every now and again? No, it does not mean that. Does it mean that she has to stay home and not ever, ever talk to anybody? No, that does not what that means either. Working at home. Well, for example, the Proverbs, the Proverbs 31 one is a good example of this. It's a woman who works well at home and is all, and and still and still has and has the time to make make great beautiful linens and whatnot and sell them to the marketplace. And she has to be savvy in the marketplace too because she still has to buy groceries every week, right? And why not be able to make something that she can trade or sell herself? That's perfectly okay. But even in that passage, we see her first priority is her husband's home, her home. If that makes sense. Blink if that makes sense to you. Did you blink? I hope you did. Okay. Continuing on. Because, well, this is where uh, even more people have more issues because... The church is the extension of families. And we see that in 1 Timothy 3, going on, uh, talking about the qualifications of an overseer. Now, in the scripture, overseer, presbyter, episcopos, pastor, I think I might use that word more than once, are all interchangeable words. They all mean the same thing. Or elder, excuse me. Or elder. These are all mean. These all carry the same meaning. They carry the same responsibilities. Now we see in Titus that Paul is admonishing Titus to to promote uh, multiple elders in the church. That means more than one. So not a, like a lead pastor vision guy and then everybody else, but a plurality of elders. Okay, so in First Timothy, qualifications of an overseer, pastor, elder, etc. There, uh, the saying is true that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, in the original language, in the original language, that is indeed a masculine. Pronoun, he. It's not like they, them, or something that can be considered gender neutral. But purposefully, masculine, he. Now, there are cases where, in the context, would allow for such a masculine word 
masculine pronoun to be used in a generic sense, like the like the word mankind, or the word man to refer to mankind in general. But in this case, the context doesn't allow for that going on in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, gentle, or quarrelsome, not a lover, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, excuse me, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? I'm going to stop there. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. Well, what does that mean? Just what it means, husband of one wife. Can you have more than one wife? Be, be pastor? No. Well, what if there's a divorce and she decided to leave him for one reason or is it divorced from a previous marriage from uh, before they were saved? Husband of one wife. Because um, there's a, a one way, again, the book I mentioned, Masculine Christianity by uh, Zach Garris, and uh, another teacher that I follow, believe that this refers to a polygamous type relationship and applied the, and almost <clears throat> applied that to marriage, marriage and divorce. Now, before you turn me off, just hear me out here. With the um, with divorce, scripture doesn't really give an out of a marriage. Now, there are situations and cases of extreme abuse. Or neglect that have to be that have to be addressed. In some cases, maybe the police, the proper authorities called, and so on. Yes, there are those cases. But the ultimate goal should be right to reconcile the marriage, because that is what God has ordained. What God has pulled, what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. So the husband and one wife. So if one is divorced and remarried, in the marriage vows or till death to its part, does God recognize you got divorced? No. No, he doesn't. You have two wives. That's still your wife. Case in point, uh, I heard a story of um, missionaries doing a work in Africa and areas where polygamy is common within, the, within that local culture. Okay. So that, that this man has like four wives and he gets saved. Does he divorce those wives? No, he doesn't. However, he would instruct his, instruct his children from there, one man, one wife for life, period. Now, this man that now that he's saved, strong in the scriptures, would he... um. Would he qualify to be an elder of the church? No, he wouldn't. He has more than one wife. I think it's pretty simple. I don't think I can put it any more simpler than that. But the point is, the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. Husband of one wife. 
So when it comes to an over, overseer, elder, pastor, should be a man, one wife. Does that leave room for a woman to fill that role with that? No, it doesn't. Skipping down to verse 4 again. He must manage his household well, without dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Throughout the scripture, we see God has ordained, set up for men to lead their households. God has put the responsibility on me to lead my family well, to raise my children in the admission of the Lord and teach them of his ways, and to lead my wife. And that's a very convicting statement. <laughs> is, that my, is any of that my wife's job? No. Why? Because I am the head of my household. Because I'm, because I'm big and bad and I want, I'm going to be in charge and you must listen to me, woman, make me a sandwich. Because God has ordained it so. God has ordained it so. So, if women, if men are head of the household, why would God have women head the church? Doesn't make any sense. Because the church is the extension of the family that God has ordained. So, so with the, so short answer to everything, hopefully all that made a little bit of sense. I've been going on for about over an hour now, so I think I'm going to go ahead and call it a night. Uh, nobody wanted to come in and talk, but that's okay. I was hoping they would. There are plenty of good resources on this. So now, I want to put it out to you. What is... What are you going to do with this? Are you going to search the scriptures? See if I'm correct? Are you going to, or are you going to say, well, he, he's dumb. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or heck, let's message. Let's talk about it publicly. Let's talk about this publicly. Because, because I want to say, because when I was researching a little bit, sorry, my dog's Jumping up here, wanting attention for some reason. Because she's a spoiled puppy, aren't you? You are a spoiled puppy. Anyway, there's a lot of, uh, I, I was looking, I live in Holt, Holt, Michigan. Okay? And my wife just bought me more tea. Thank you, dear. You want to say that on air? I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. She asked me if I wanted a sandwich. She's being funny. So hopefully you got a good laugh out of that. But anyway, I was doing some research, and I was curious. So I, searched, so I looked at the number of churches in Holt, Michigan. And there are several. And some of them don't have any women in any sort of pastoral-type role. With the exception of "quote unquote" children's director, which could, which is nearly a pastoral role, depending on the situation. But more is typically in a lot of churches that's more than just a simple administrative position. You no know, handling logistics and that kind of thing. 
But I noticed there's one uh, one church in the area that has a woman as the lead pastor. And the most recent video I saw of them teaching was three women teaching the public assembly. They are in violation of the scriptures in doing so. There are some that would go as far as to say if you have women teaching because it's a violation of the scripture, or women in the pastorate, that is not it's not a church, biblically speaking. There's another church in the area that lists two women as pastors, one as a quote unquote children's pastor, the other one is a youth the other position in the same church is the youth pastor. Okay, I understand as things grow, you kind of need to you need to expand things a little bit. However, if biblically women don't qualify, there's no qualifications listed for women to be pastors, overseers, elders. They don't. Neither should they fill those roles, and those other roles in the same way. Even if a children's pastor is a thing, it should not be a woman. It should be a man, biblically. Because a pastor is also the, an elder in the church. Now, when it comes to church policies, a lot of places have things different. They have a church. They'll have your pastor, a couple other pastors, and then going on other, a couple other pastors. And then they have an elder board or a deacon board, which in some ways in doing polity, it, it can kind of make sense, but it can get real hairy. But the best thing is a plurality of elders. So a pastor is an elder. They're not separate. They're the same. Let's take that into consideration. I was looking around. Uh, also continue to look around in my area. There's another church in the area. Uh, can't not really much on their website, which is fine. Uh, there's features of the pastor's wife teaching, and they list themselves together as pastors, Mister and Missus. So they're both pastors. Wait a minute, how's that work? We just went over the scriptures. How's that work that she's a pastor? That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make doesn't make any look of sense according to what the scripture says. So there's that. <laughs> um. So anyway, I'm gonna end with I'm gonna end with that. Again, like I said at the beginning, John DePascal, I put the offer out to you to discuss this publicly. I would love to continue to discuss this publicly. Because this is worth having. This is a conversation worth having. Having. What does the scripture say? Now, if we're worried about grace and understanding, that has to be based on what scripture says. And if scripture, and if we read scripture and I'm wrong, then so be it. I need to change my views to what scripture says. If we read the scriptures and you're wrong, 
so be it. You need to change your view to what Scripture says. Now, I know there's a lot more. Now, with this, with, with, with him and his, and, his, and his viewpoints and whatnot, things that would have to be hashed out in addition to this between the two of us to, so we can have a coherent conversation together. I think this is a public conversation worth having. Because there's so much in the Scripture, if we get even the slightest bit wrong, well, scripture of such a clear, clear teaching in Scripture, we risk throwing everything else out. All right, so with that, I want to say thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much. But if you enjoyed it, give me a like. If you have any questions or comments, look at believe, look look me up on iTunes, Anchor FM, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, or Google Play, and I believe in Thialo on Twitter. And I'm also on Gab, but I don't post there very often. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you'd stick around for a few episodes more. This has been an episode of the Believing Theologist podcast. Proclaiming the gospel and sound doctrine. So go to the furthest reaches of the U- from Lansing to the furthest reaches of the UP. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>